welcome to Beckett Talks, the podcast series from Leeds Beckett University. In these podcasts, we will be showcasing our diverse community of students and academics, touching on the important themes that surround universities today. On today's Beckett Talks podcast, I'm joined by Dr Nicole Whitworth to talk about the impact of accents and how language is learned. Hello, Nicole. Thanks for joining us. Please, can you tell me about your role at Leeds Beckett University? Yes, hello. Thank you for having me. I'm the Head of International and Global Studies in the Carnegie School of Education. I'm part of the team that is responsible for the management of the school. And I do, of course, also manage my own area, International and Global Studies. My role involves teaching on our English for Academic Purposes courses and its range of subject-specific pathways. Uh, We also have a new online masters in teaching English to speakers of other languages coming online in September. We're really excited about that. Apart from that, I'm an active researcher and my area of expertise is in the impact of accents on people's lives. I'm looking at language acquisition, so how children and adults learn their language, as well as how we best teach pronunciation to people. What courses does Liz Beckett University offer for people looking to learn or develop a language? We offer a range of courses for students who are coming to the UK to study. So we have our pre-sessional and subject-specific international foundation years. They are there to improve individuals' English academic skills. So they improve the English language as well as how to study uh, at a UK university. So we prepare them to gain an outstanding UK award in their discipline of choice. We also offer five and ten week evening courses in French, German, Italian, Japanese and Spanish. And these are ideally suited to adults who want to learn a language, either for leisure or for business purposes. The courses tend to start at three points in a year, in October, January and March. And uh, listeners might want to check out our free language tasters. And we also run free language cafes to see whether they want to commit to a more in-depth language course at a later point. So thinking about accents then, why do people in the UK have accents? Okay. The reason why people have accents is because language is basically um, a social activity. We use language because we want to communicate, but we also use language to make social connections. So language is practiced within communities and the accent that we speak with signals which community we belong to. In addition, it also signals our identity, sometimes uh, parts of our identity that we want to disclose to others, at other points, parts of our identity that we might do not want to disclose to others. So our voice in general provides loads and loads of information uh, about who we are and also about how we are currently feeling. So it shows a little bit about our attitude to the current situation and to uh, the things that we are talking about. So accents are about, as I said, identity and also about position within our society. So a person's accent often varies across the lifespan and according to what situation the speaker finds themselves in. So they're not fixed entities, they're dynamic entities. One of the things uh, that is very important to me and other people who investigate accents is that um, we need to be aware that 
everybody speaks with an accent. So it is completely impossible for us to speak without an accent. We speak with some sort of variation in the pattern of our speech that provides the listener with sociocultural information. More generally, we tend, at least in the UK, associate accents with regional variation and class information. So the different um, English accents provide other people with information of our regional origin, but also where our social status can be uh, slotted in. This means that if somebody speaks with uh, an accent that is considered to be socially prestigious, that tends to be received pronunciation, or sometimes that is also referred to as Southern British English, we assume that they haven't got an accent, but they still have an accent. It is just one that is considered to be socially neutral. And the deviation of this socially accepted norm is then perceived as accented speech. We might also, in some cases, perceive some body speech as accented if they basically do not comply with the regional norms or the local norms um, that, again, identifies people as not belonging to our group. So it's somebody who is uh, a stranger and not part of our social networks. And it usually varies around um, which social group or which membership of the social group is considered to be desirable for uh, ourselves. How do regional accents develop? Accents develop, um, first of all, in, in social communities. So it's the social networks that we move in. And each social network develops uh, its own accent given time. And there are close-knit and a little bit more open-knit social networks. So again, accents develop on the basis of our social needs. In terms of an individual's development, accents develop very early on in the speech acquisition process because basically we're surrounded by accented speech and we as human beings participate in social communities. And they are, of course, uh, markers for our identity. It is very important for human people to belong to a social network uh, because not belonging to a social network uh, almost um, endangers our survival. We are social animals and as such, we want to belong to a social community. Once we have developed our accent, um, we have still some control over uh, the features of that particular accent, but it is somewhat limited because speaking is also a biomechanical activity and uh, we learn certain biomechanical uh, scripts that can only be changed um, with some difficulty, shall we say, at a later uh, stage. So uh, if you think about learning another language in adulthood, people often end up uh, speaking a new language with a foreign accent. Uh, and while there is a rough correlation with age of acquisition, so the age at which we start to learn the language, it's by no means universal. So you will find people who are able to very successfully learn a foreign language and speak it with 
almost no perceptible foreign accent at all, and they can do so uh, in adulthood. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of people shy away from learning uh, a foreign language because they're worried about not being able to speak it properly. But there is no such thing as speaking a language properly. Many times we judge our success at foreign language learning by looking at how native-like we can speak the language. Uh, but that's actually a false way of looking at it because the accent that we speak with, whether that is foreign or whether that is close to uh, what is considered to be the norm, tells everybody about your own identity, where you've come from, and also a little bit about your life history. Uh, and that is really important. So you know, not learning a foreign language because you're worried about not being able to speak it properly is, is a shame. So having a foreign accent or indeed any accent has, of course, also its, its dark side. So what we do as human beings, we judge people on the basis of their accents as well. Um, and again, it goes back to the social component where we basically identify people as belonging to our group or not belonging to our group. The Carnegie School of Education offers distinctive and creative courses that are designed to respond to the changes taking place in society. The courses develop students' nurturing skills and equip them with the knowledge and expertise to make a difference to the lives of children and young people. The outstanding support offered to students helps build their career and develop their professional skills, with additional sessions that will set them apart in a competitive job market. The school's aim is to focus on the diverse skills required to create a generation of inspirational educators. So, if a career in education interests you, whether you're starting out on your educational journey or wishing to progress professionally, go to leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash CSE for more information. Is there discrimination against uh, different accents and, and so why? Yes, there definitely is. So uh, as I previously said, accent is an indicator of identity and social status. Linked to that is this idea of solidarity. So if we belong to a group and we modify our accent, we might be seen as not showing enough solidarity. And again, that might lead to rejection. At the same time, when we hear somebody speak, we make a whole range of value judgments, which, of course, in many cases can be entirely incorrect. So that these judgments might have an impact of how we're seen as professionals, how we're seen as people and uh, the characteristics that we are displaying. Um, so just to give you a quick example, uh, one person in the public eye who in recent years has been at the receiving end of accent prejudice is Labour politician Angela Rayner. She speaks with a very regional accent. Her accent, because it is regional, has been considered to make a sound less intelligent by some people. And it's not an accent that is perhaps typical of how politicians speak. So uh, the value judgment there is if you speak like this, you can't be a good politician. 
And that is, of course, not necessarily true because the um, quality of being intelligent, being a good po politician, or indeed any other quality, is separate from how people sound. And other things that, that listeners might have come across is that um, we also associate certain characteristics um, with accents like somebody's trustworthiness. Think about, you know, are there any accents when you hear them, you find people more trustworthy or you find them more competent, more friendly and so on. And where this is often used is in um, call centers. So people will be employed to call centers very frequently who have an accent that is considered to be friendly uh, or considered to be um, polite and approachable. Um, examples of that might be the Newcastle accent, for example. But then uh, in call centers, if you go a little bit higher in the rank and you go to the complaints department, very often they uh, employ people who have a more standard accent because they want to project a different quality. They want to project the quality of knowing what you're talking about and also authority. And again, we have this dark side that I alluded to, how somebody sounds at an interview might affect whether or not they get the job. How somebody sounds um, in a telephone conversation might determine whether they uh, get the offer of a flat. So there are examples for um, the US where uh, people who spoke with a black American vernacular um, would not be offered a flat because the owner associated the accent with somebody who is not a suitable person to rent a flat to. Uh, same things uh, have been shown in, for example, um, court proceedings where same thing has been shown, for example, for court proceedings where stiffer sentences were applied to people who had a less trustworthy accent. Do people tend to, to change or temper their accents as they move to different regions or different countries? People do. And I think one of the things that is really important to know is that on one level, we are continually modifying our accents all the time. And it depends who we are talking to. Uh, and this quality is referred to as speaker accommodation. For example, we start speaking more like our conversational partner if we want to associate with them and create a bond or a closer link. Similarly, if we want to distance ourselves from our uh, conversational partner, we might start to deliberately speak differently. And when I say deliberately, I should say it's actually not necessarily a conscious process. Um, so very often this is then associated with wanting to assert our own identity. On a perhaps more serious level, uh, there is quite a substantial market in the business of accent modification. So people go out and hire somebody and pay for somebody to improve, uh, for example, their career prospects. And they deliberately set out to change the way they speak so that they're, for example, more positively perceived by employers, prospective employers, and people frequently also attempt to modify the way they sound and speak by themselves without uh, help. One famous example um, that is, you might have read about is Maggie Thatcher lowering the pitch of her voice 
um, which again is a feature that is not uncommon for women who work in a leadership role because uh, as a species, but also as, as, as a mammal, we associate a lower pitch with more power and bigger size. And therefore, um, what people who want to assert power do is they lower their pitch. Now, that can be quite disastrous in some ways, because if you lower your pitch uh, continuously, not in the right way, that can cause um, damage to the vocal folds. And that is, of course, where a problem arises. Another example, which is perhaps more associated with accent is, um, and I know that from academia, very often people in the north of England uh, work on how they pronounce the vowel in words like uh, B-U-S, bus, and C-U-T, cut, to sound less broad uh, and more like the prestigious uh, Southern British English accent. Uh, and that is particularly when they operate in environments where it's important to sound more educated. So instead of saying bus with an O type sound, they might modify to bus with an A type sound. And that will help them, or at least they perceive that it will help them to uh, sound more credible in their respective position. You asked me why people do this. Well, ultimately, the reason this happens is that um, we are a social animal and we want to fit in with our social group or the social group that we aspire to uh, be part of. So accents help you to get access to a group, but they obviously can also be grounds for rejection from the group. And um, we have this primal instinct where we sometimes need to do things to belong uh, and belong is very important because if we do not belong, that can have disastrous consequences for our survival or the way we manage to survive. An accent is just one of those things. It is just a little bit more difficult to modify in many ways. Do other English speaking countries have similar uh, regional accent variations uh, such as uh, America and Australia? And do demographics play into this? Well, generally speaking, you find accent variation across all languages in the world. Where you find differences, in particular also in English-speaking countries, is that accents are not necessarily as strongly associated with, for example, social standing. Uh, and often other features beyond pronunciation play an equal or sometimes more important role. And that might, for example, be word choice, including words that are only used in a particular type of speech. And that is when we start talking about dialect. So accent variation relates to variation in pronunciation only. And then when other levels of language come into play, um, like the type of words that we use or the grammar we use, then it's really what we call dialectal variation. You might think uh, of Scots, uh, for example, in this case. Now, going back to the English-speaking countries, it's quite interesting that there is some, but comparatively little evidence of accent variation in Australian English. And that has to do both with time and also with the social conditions under which English 
developed in Australia. So there has not been sufficient time for vastly different accents to emerge. And on the other hand, the fact that there was a strong social pull for English-speaking immigrants in Australia to um, group together, to speak in a unified way, to safeguard their identity, means that what we saw there is a process called accent levelling. So there were uh, English-speaking immigrants who were speaking all sorts of different accents, but they uh, basically developed an accent that um, leveled out between their different uh, accents of origin. And that meant that the uh, varieties of English spoken in Australia became relatively close. There is still some uh, variation, but it's not as uh, big as you might find in the UK. Uh, what impact has a national and global broadcast communications had on accents? That is an interesting question, and I'm not quite sure whether I can definitively answer it. It has certainly an impact in terms of what accents are felt to be appropriate or not in certain contexts. So if I give you an example, if we repeatedly hear a regional accent read out in the national news, we will start to associate that accent with the activity and it be, therefore becomes more acceptable in that particular activity, but also in wider society because we accept what we get more familiar with. There was a controversy where sports presenter Alex Scott was involved because she was dropping the G at the end of words ending in ing. So uh, instead of uh, bowling, she will have said bowling. Um, and she was subsequently criticized by Digby Jones for it, saying he could hardly bear to listen to it. And it was an, a sign of decline within society with, and it, it should be avoided. Uh, and Alex Scott herself came back and she said that she's proud of her origins. And here we see uh, the link to identity again. These value judgments are not objective. Uh, and I think, again, um, similarly to saying we all speak with an accent, it is also important to realise that inherently no accent is better than another from a linguistic point of view. So all these judgments about accents are socially conditioned and because society keeps changing, you will find that these value judgments about accents will also eventually change depending on how people are exposed to them in a national or global context. What do you think uh, the future holds for accents? Will they continue to diversify? Or with globalisation and um, international communications, do you think they will become more similar? That is quite difficult uh, to predict. Uh, there have been some predictions that some accents uh, will disappear, or at least there was report of it in the media, but that was a misunderstanding of the uh, corresponding studies. Basically, language is continually changing. Uh, it just doesn't stay the same because it's, as I said, a social construct. So I believe there will always be some form of accent variation because people will still want to either associate or dissociate from uh, groupings within society. Uh, but the degree of variation that will remain is very difficult to predict. I guess while globalization, for example, um, and the spread of English may lead to more accent leveling, 
in other words, accents will become more similar, there will always be people who will want to preserve their own identity and therefore go the other way. And they will try to speak differently from what, um, say, the mainstream group might use as their accent. That was really interesting, Nicole. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. The Beckett Talk podcasts are released every Tuesday. So don't forget to check our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to find out more details on our next episode. See you next week.